think the I mean European methane techniques are going going to stay for a while. I know there's been a sort of an explosion in, in the interest in them and now everyone, you know, a lot of people are doing some kind of a variation of that, especially probably during the last five years. Um, even though European methane actually started in the competitive fishing world in the 70s. So it's a pretty old thing, but it's been improving. Um, so I think that's going to, I think that will stay around for a while, but people will keep getting better at it. the variations of it, you know, styles of it, ways to do it, um, that are sort of be, have, be, have been developed in the competitive world, um, that are not yet out there with the common fishermen, but, but those fishermen are interested in that type of fishing, that type of nymphing. So sooner or later, they'll just keep, you know, more and more will trickle down and people will start telling the difference between the Czech style and the Spanish style and hopefully the French style. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, a look behind the scenes of the fly fishing world, featuring insight from guides and gear reps, conversation with resort managers, thoughts on entomology, discussions on fly patterns and destinations, and plenty of fish stories. Most importantly, it's an exploration of this lifelong journey we call fly fishing. Here is your host, Mark Hopley, with this episode of Fly Fishing 97. We continue our conversation today. It's a two-part interview with Evo Balanov, smartangling.com. A look at uh, the world of competitive fly fishing, some of the gear that these folks are using. And uh, we continue our conversation this time around with Evo. No, I, re- I really like the, the, the stories when you, um, you know, when you catch a fish with somebody else's fly in their mouth. Hmm. And I, I remember that, and, and speaking about fishing, you know, like, white tippets um, with light rods and so on. I was, I was fishing a small uh, spring creek here in our area years ago, and, you know, I had a decent day, maybe not as good as I was hopeful. It was nice, and I was going back to the car, and then I arrived to um, sort of a culvert under the road where the river passes through, and um, I see what I think are these little fish rising there. You know, I'll probably try and catch one more and you know, cast my dry fly there, just a little sip. And the little sip turns out to be something like a 19-inch wild male brown. Um, you know, just a good fly and everything. And I, and I land them and I look and right next to my fly, there's somebody else's um, elk hair cat is sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, and that was when when I was fishing. Like I started fishing with a you know like a a two weight rod and seven x tippet or something like that. You know, and I knew the other person has probably fished a five x, and the first two broke him off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? You wouldn't believe it if it didn't happen to you, right? I, I wanted to talk specifically about about some of your higher end rods. Um, and I don't even know if I'm mm-hmm. saying this brand correctly. RK, is that the, uh, um, it's, honestly, I don't know what it should, uh, people here, everyone's, everyone, every, everyone English speaking is saying RK. Um, in Spanish, it's Arkai. Arkai. I believe it's Arkai or something like that, but RK is fine. Cause it's, it's kind of becoming, everyone's saying RK. So I will probably settle as, as RK in, in Canada. <laughs> 
So that's fine. I mean, that's so the tell cool me, thing about it. Those, yeah. Are those those Spanish rods that you're talking about, high-end rods that uh, a lot mm-hmm. of these guys are using? Tell us a little bit what, what's so special about these rods. Mm. Well, there, there are um, there, the dry-fly models and then the nymphing models. The dry-fly models are the pretty much the only rod on the market that I know that is specifically designed for the Spanish um, dry fly style. And, you know, if you didn't know the Spanish dry fly, you, will, you may find those roads frustrating because they are designed to underpower your cast as opposed to overpower it, which most of the other rods do. Uh, because if you want to get the right presentation the Spanish way, you're tying your leader, you're, uh, you know, using a fly line and a rod that are all designed to underpower your cast. You're actually fishing a two-weight line with a three-weight rod and a super long leader, so you can get that presentation that will allow you to get a super long, bitless uh, presentation. So it's a pretty unique rod. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone that hasn't tried the Spanish style. Um, and then the guys that know it, they, they actually are looking for it because there's nothing else like it out there. Hmm. Spain it has a market because there's just so many people that do it in Spain. Here, there's probably a handful of people right now that that know that. The nymphing rod, I think, would would appeal to a much broader um, you know, group of people. Right. Um, because it's a rod that's good for a variety of nymphing styles. It's a, it's a long rod. The Spanish tend to nymph at a bit of a distance compared to a Czech, for example. Um, because their conditions are such, you know, they have rivers with clear water, sometimes low water, spooky fish, so that they they figured out how to, uh, you know, still fish on a straight line, direct contact with the fish, but a bit of a longer distance. And that's what those rods are made for. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're pretty good for it. Both all of the the, um, the king fisher models from Archive are um, nano rods and, and they're made using nanotechnology which pretty much makes it impossible to break them on, on a normal fishing situation meaning on a fish or on a snag or something like that of course if you close the door of your car on them you'd break them but in a fishing situation you wouldn't they would you can basically circle them completely and they won't break do these rods have lifetime warranties uh games breakages in a normal fishing situation yeah. so if you somehow managed to break them on a fish or a snag or something like that. Yeah, they do have a lifetime warranty for that. The thing that I'm so excited about the products that you carry, you fish them all, you test them all, I can tell, and, and you wouldn't be selling them if you didn't believe in them. No, it's, uh, and we do make a point to um, try everything that we, that we sell to mm-hmm. people ourselves. You know, and I mean, the way this whole thing started is by we wanted to bring to the market the things that we fish and the things that we want to fish. So, you know, we, we do, even though these things are developed by anglers that are a lot more experienced and better than us, we still make a point to try everything before we, uh, we start selling it. In the world of competitive fly fishing, when you look at, I mean, what you guys are doing now, most of us will be doing five years from now. What do you see the latest trends? Like, what's a cutting-edge thing that maybe people are, are, are looking at right now? Mm. It's, a, it's a good question. Um, I think the I mean, European methane techniques are going, going to stay for a while. They, they, I know there's been a sort of an explosion in, in the interest 
in them, and now everyone, you know, a lot of people are doing some kind of a variation of that, especially probably during the last five years. Um, even though European fishing actually started in the competitive fishing world in the 70s, so it's a pretty old thing, but it's been improving. So I think that's gonna, I think that will stay around for a while, but people will keep getting better at it. the variations of it, you know, styles of it, ways to do it um, that are sort of being developed in the competitive world um, that are not yet out there with the common fishermen, but but those fishermen are interested in that type of fishing, that type of nymphing. So sooner or later, they'll just keep, you know, more and more will trickle down and people will start telling the difference between the Czech style and the Spanish style and hopefully the French style, you know, as more of that information comes out. Um, so that will stay. Um, I don't know. Um, I would like to think that people will start getting interested in the Spanish dry fly technique, but I haven't even seen that in competitive fishing so much, um, simply because, you know, we're sort of developed by one country and it's only become popular or known in the last few years and not that many people are exposed to it but I think first in competitive fishing and then other fishing the, the interest in it will grow uh, because the Spanish are sort of quickly establishing themselves as the probably the best team right now when it comes to river fishing and that's part of their success so the curiosity will probably get more people using it. Through your experience um, like are a lot of these successful anglers are they using fluoro um, it depends on what for. Um, on lakes, I find that um, pretty much everyone, um, like all of the experienced lake anglers, are using fluoro um, in competitive fishing for just about anything. The only exception is that some people don't like using it for dry fly. Um, some of the British guys would rather use a cold polymer when they fish dry and, and then degrease it with mud every few casts. So go just below the surface, and it's not so shiny. Um, but for just about everything else, everyone is using fluoro on the lakes. Um, it's, it's kind of a norm. What's your go-to um, knot then, with the fluoro on your fly? Is it a loop knot, or what, what type of uh, knot are you are you using, Evo? Oh, to, to the fly? Yeah, correct. Um, um, it's it's a very simple. It's just a, an improved crunch knot or crunch knot. I, only, I try to use only two knots in all of my leg fishing, just to keep it simple. Right. Um, and it goes back to what I learned from John Horsey back in the day. He told us he only uses two knots. Um, so you have a loop at the end of your fly line, right? So to, to attach your leader to that, you use an improved clinch. And then you have a long leader with droppers on it. And you use a double surgeon or triple surgeon for the droppers. And then to tie your flies on, you use a, an improved clinch again. So there's just two very simple knots. And that's all I use. They're easy to tie. They're very quick to tie. Uh, we care a lot about being quick in uh, competitive fishing because, you know, anytime your flies are out of the water, you're not catching fish. So you kind of minimize that time. So, you know, try and keep it simple and fast. And they're strong enough, both of these knots. So I'm curious about the psychological mindset. So, I mean, for the average person when we're out there fishing, it's kind of just to enjoy time on the water and, you know, if you catch a fish, great. If you don't, it's not the end of the world. But when when numbers matter, how does that change your headspace? Well, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. People people do it differently depending on their personality. I find, you know, um, I try. I find for me personally, I find that if I manage to stay calm and relaxed 
I usually do very well. Um, so I kind of try and get out of my mind the thought about whether I'm going to win or not, or I just try to relax and focus on what is it that I have to do to get the most out of my session. In other words, focus on the fishing, don't worry so much as to whether someday, you know, I will win or not, you know. Like when, when I when I manage to put my mode my mind in this mode, I find I usually win. It's kind of funny, you know. Like I have a friend who's uh, and it's not only about fishing. I think I have a um, I know somebody who was a a world champion uh, kickboxing world champion. And he told me the exact same thing. He says like if you start worrying whether you're gonna win or lose the the match and that takes over your mind, you lose it. But if you just stick to uh, your, you know, your game plan, you focus on it, you focus on what you should be doing to, you know, win, then it works out. So, you know, it, it's, for me, that's just sort of the constant struggle of trying to put my mind in that mode as to, um, you know, be calm, be relaxed, be focused. Right. Um, and then and then it works out. Um, and there's some simple principles. I mean, it's just like the, if your flies are out of the water, you're not going to catch fish with them. You know, if they're in the water, there's some chance that something's going to happen, you know. Um, even if you're not doing the right thing, you may still catch a fish, you know. But you're not going to catch a fish if they're not in the water. So you sort of try and minimize the time. Um, so you, if you're changing rigs, you figure out how to do it very fast. You have them pre-tied, ready to be made, so you quickly change them. You figure out how very quickly to change fly lines, um, you know, how the fastest way you can change flies. You know, all of those things to help you minimize that time of the flies being outside of the water. And we're talking about fly patterns. One of the issues people have in competitive fishing is when they get obsessed about changing flies and trying to find the right one. But it spends so much time, and it happens to everyone, it happens to me. You spend so much time fooling around trying different patterns that you realize and you sort of lose count of the fact that your flies are not in the water and you're not fishing. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's very true. So when you approach one of these beats uh for the first time, you're coming at it from the bottom up uh or or what's your normal approach on that? I guess it's maybe different if you're nymphing too, right? Yeah, it would depend on the it depend on the, it would depend on the situation as well. And and there's even I mean on on our team that people that have different we don't really have an agreement about that something. Like I have I know a few guys who would always fish upstream regardless of the situation. Right. So they start at the bottom of their beat and they want to cover it fishing upstream. I do that most of the time, um, but every now and then I would fish downstream as well. If I'm nymphing and I'm nymphing relatively deep and fast water, I know the fish are not scared of me. I may actually fish downstream. But downstream meaning I will still fish across the river you know, not necessarily, not necessarily casting downstream, you know, just basically fish across and then I'll make a step or two down and then I'll fish back. So I'm sort of, you know, zigzagging, hmm. covering the water. And if you're fishing upstream, you might be doing the exact same thing, right? Fish downstream, if I think that the fish will allow me to be really close to them, because this way I would present the fly in two different ways to every fish. Um, let's say if I'm dead drifting and then swinging at the end, you know, so when I cross the river and make a step down walk back, then I will be doing the exact same thing. So the, so every single spot in the river is going to be covered with two slightly different presentations. Right. 
Um, then the other thing is that when you're fishing downstream, if you're fighting heavy currents, it's just much easier on you. You can get exhausted for three hours fighting heavy currents fishing upstream. Mm. And downstream, you just let the water carry you down. Yeah. All right. Do you fish a lot of streamer patterns? Um, on rivers, you mean, or lakes? Yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, specifically rivers, I was thinking at the time. but Rivers, yeah. Um, not very often, to be honest. I mean, I would in certain conditions. I should probably be doing it more because it actually can be very effective. Right. If of all the different species of fish you've caught, what's what's your favorite species of uh, trout to fish for? My favorite species of trout is the dolphish. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> 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 I love saltwater fishing. I love fishing the flats. Nice. And that's not competitive fishing, and that's why I don't care how many fish I catch. If I catch one goldfish, I'm happy. See, that's probably a nice release for you. So when when you know you're keeping track and you're counting numbers, all of a sudden when you're out in the flats, it it doesn't matter. Yeah, well, and it's it's just different dynamics. It's just nice to be out there. Um, it's more of a hunting and fishing because, you know, you're sight fishing for them, trying to figure out all of these things of how the tide works, where they're going to pass, you know, why are they not, why were they there yesterday and they're not here today, and <laughs> all those things. And it's just nice to be out there, too. It's, it's a beautiful environment. It's warm. Like a typical year for you, how does mm-hmm. your year lay out? Um, are you picking these tournaments way in advance, like you already know what you're doing next year type thing? Um, it it depends on the tournament. Um, I mean, things like the World Championship, Commonwealth Championships, we would um, the national, the Canadian national teams would be selected at least a year in advance. Sometimes more than that. If you, if you want to be, and if you're going to be serious about want to be, you know, it does take a year of preparation. Right. Uh, you know, from arranging the logistics of it, you know, to like, you know, getting tickets, making sure that at the right time, you have some practice time and so on, to, you know, collecting as much information as you could about the, the waters you'd be fishing, figuring out if you can hook up with some local guys that can help you in your preparation, making sure you have the right equipment, making sure the team has the right flies, which sometimes involves you know substantial tying effort in between the different team members, uh, you know, talking tactics, fundraising, but nobody pays for that. So it's a lot of it's a lot of work involved. So those things get planned. Sounds uh, like a lot of preparation. Sounds like a lot of preparation. Yeah, yeah, no, it's people don't realize how much effort goes into um you know, preparing and eventually doing well at an international competition. It's not easy at all. Where are the um, World Championships going to be held in uh, 2019? In Tasmania. Now, and, uh, and then, so how does that work? Is there regional qualifying and then whoever makes national teams goes? Well, we have, um, for a few years now, we have had a sort of a national ranking point system in Canada. And our, the different competitions that we have here um, would give you sort of, they have different value points. Let's say, you know, a one-day competition with, depending on the type of language that participate in, it can have, you know, a certain point value range. Um, and then there's the, the longer ones, like the provincial championships um, that obviously give you more, or some of the bigger tournaments. I think in BC you have the North American Walk Style Championship, which is one of the highest, by, and in terms of points competitions in Canada right now. And then the highest is the national championship, which we have every year in a different part of Canada. So at the end of the season, we will take your three best 
um, result. Mm-hmm. And sort of they'll be sort of averaged and then you get your points. And then Fly Fishing Canada, which is sort of the, the national body that deals with that, um, is going to ask for applications for whoever wants to be on a national team for a particular competition, international one. And they will use these, these points as sort of the main criteria for the selection. Of course, there'll be other things taken into account as to whether you have, you maybe you've been at another competition at these particular venues and you know them or your previous international experience and so on. Um, there could be a selection committee and then the, the members of the team will be picked ideally early enough, say a year in advance, and then they start pairing. Hmm. How much of your preparation revolves around entomology or is it is it more tactics for the water you're fishing? There's barely anything about entomology. <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's not what I expected you to say. <laughs> no, not really. Um I mean unless but unless you're fishing you know, situations where you'll be fishing say um dry flies. Um, and it's the water that's known for picky fish and so on. But even then, honestly, we don't really talk entomology. I mean, of course, we want to know um, whether there will be hatches or there will be a hatch during a particular part of the day and what exactly it is. And mm-hmm. you know, so you're kind of ready with uh, the like firefly pattern. But then most of the time, the fish are feeding on the bottom anyway. You'll be missing more often than. Right. Than anything else on the rivers, and there are generic nymph patterns that cover a variety of insects. Uh, and, and as I said, I believe more in changing size, beat color, and weight than I care about changing the pattern. Uh, you know, maybe darker or brighter patterns or something like that. But you know, not not really. I mean, there's there's so many nymphs out there that if you look at them, they you don't even know if they resemble any insects that the people are just taking. I mean, look at the Spanish vertigo. Right. Basically, tread and bead, a deadly. Huh. Yeah. So yeah, there's really not much entomology. In it. <laughs> there's so many attractive patterns which have nothing to do with entomology, but if they take them, um, it's more in terms of tactics, really, technique, how do you cover the water. Well, speaking of which, after our conversation tonight, I can tell you I'll be tying up some some vampire boobies here in, uh, within the next hour. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. We've been chatting with Evo Balanov, uh, competitive fly fisher, uh, smartangling.com. They're uh, Smart Angling Canada on Instagram. Thanks, Evo. You, thanks for uh, being such a wealth of knowledge. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for inviting me again. I had a lot of fun. And, um, you know, if, uh, if there's anything I can help with at any time, uh, please don't hesitate to ask. Absolutely. So check out their website, smartangling.com. Top shelf equipment, competitive fly fishing at its best. Thanks for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you would like to hear on the show. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.